Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 412, and this is a bonus one. And it's a really ex- exciting one. It's with my mate Andy Chambers. And I've known Andy a good while now, over 20 years, I reckon. Over tw- a tw- a tw- 20 years, but he moved to Bath. So there was a period, I mean, we talk about a lot of this. There's a period where we weren't, we didn't really, we would talk every now and then, but it's, n- it's n- not like we were around each other constantly. And he started to do a lot of cool shit in that period. <laughs> not that being in regular contact with me was holding him back, but he started to do a lot of really cool sh- shit in that period. And I've really got an amazing amount of respect. I think that comes across in the chat, but I've got an amazing amount of respect for Andy. And he started a podcast recently called Born Human, which we talk about, and it's really good. So I wanted to get him on this podcast to talk about everything. I mean, we talk about our interaction, our, 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 the, the how we met, our engagement, what we thought of each other over the years. Engagement as in interaction. We're not married um, or engaged. That comes into his his story so um <laughs> this has gone on a tangent isn't it anyway it's a really good chat i'll sh- shut up because it's a bonus episode anyway so um yeah i urge you to go and, and, l- and listen to born human there's only three or four episodes out s- so far but i've listened to i've listened to two and a half and i'm and the other half i'm finishing off at the at this evening and um uh, yeah i'm gonna be a regular listener so yeah, I also recommended it on International Podcast Day a week ago today, or a week and a day ago, maybe. Let's call it eight days ago today. I recommended Born Human on my ACAST recommendations for International Podcast Day. So yeah, this is episode 412 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Andrew Chambers of Born Human. I'm here with Andy Chambers, and and first things first, how are you, mate? I'm good, mate. Like we've been catching up for a little bit before, and that's why I said, well, let's let's get recording and yeah, see how you're doing. How are you in your your body and mind as 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 such in in such an odd time? Yeah, I'm good. We've you know probably eight out of ten, maybe we've um yeah, kids have been a bit unwell for. a a week or two so that's been uh challenging as it always is but yeah. um yeah it's good one's back at school now so we're kind of back to normal life and actually we can function again and yeah generally very good there's lots of good things happening and in a good place at the moment which is good i'd like to hear it so mm. for, for, for the listeners i want to give a bit of kind of history because we've known each other for years but there's certainly a period where as with most friendships groups of our age kind of thing there's a big a gap in interaction there's the, yeah. the, there's a period where you know we'll check in on each other every now and then or catch up here and there but it's in that gap that so much of the stuff i want to chat to you about today has happened including the 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 born human podcast and yeah all the things we want to talk about there so when we were talking in 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 whatsapp in the build-up yeah you were like is there anything you need to know i was like well there kind of is, but I'd rather kind of f- f- find out on the podcast because then, then the listener is on the same journey as me. But b- yeah. before we, we get to all of that, I thought it'd be good 
because no one ever does this with their mates to try and kind of plot our friendship yeah like when we met each other so we would have met through chris and mark right i assume yeah um well i guess you and mark went to school together right that's it i went to a s- a secondary school with mark but i think he went to primary school or at least grew up in the same area as a, a lot of you guys and then we all went to college together but again i don't even kind of see college as where i met a lot of 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 that crowd because if it wasn't for mark yeah colleges and things like that are very divided anyway so there's loads of people at college who i don't know yeah and it is weird isn't it because like friendships do that don't they it's sort of like as you say you sort of they fluctuate i suppose in terms of their interactions over time yeah but i guess it would have been through mark and I, i kind of i did this with another um friend of mine recently i was trying to work out exactly when we first met and how we yeah. first met. And I was like, actually, I can't pin it, really. I, I yeah. only know that it came through that person in that time and we were, I don't know, drinking cider in the park somewhere at 14 or we were, I don't know, I, I ended up at a birthday party that you were at for a yeah. 16th birthday yeah. or something like that. And I never really kind of, it never really gets to the bottom of it, but it must have been through Mark, I suppose. And then I suppose... With that, we crossed paths at different points with that. And then, because I'd obviously known Mark, I've known Mark since we were at primary school kind of thing. So that's that's an obvious sort of, that's a, yeah. one of my longest friendships really. And then I suppose with Jamie happening and yeah. all that, then that kind of, I think the weird thing about that happening with Jamie was that although some friendships had kind of, taken different directions or kind of moved off i mean jamie was a good example of that you know we we were at school and college together and then once we went off to university then not that your friendships kind of dissipate but you do end up kind of like drifting apart a bit because you've got different agendas yeah um but then you know when he wasn't around anymore then i think that kind of solidified a few sort of friendships in a way, well, this is how I see it anyway, in a way where it's like, not that necessarily you'll see those people any more than you would have done, but you've got a bond that says actually life's too short and it's not a reason to not keep in touch with people regardless of how long yeah. you haven't seen them for. A hundred percent agree. I think it's weird how losing a friend from your friendship group can bring, yeah, a load of people closer together and tighter together and, and things like that, P- particularly at that age, because that is the age where you can drift in and out of friendships and friendship groups because there's college, there's your first jobs and all sorts of other things. So yeah. you can go from, there's clubs, there's pubs. You can go from, oh, I was really close to these people for a year yeah, and I haven't haven't seen them since. And it's, yeah. it's weird how something like loss... And again, the, the thing with loss is it forces an anniversary every year. Yeah, yeah. So every year, I, I definitely think I'm closer to Simo, way closer to Simo than I was prior to Jamie the, the dying. And part of that is yeah. because of always meeting up on his birthday each year. Yeah, and, yeah. And there's, there's loads of people like that that I think because of an anniversary, then people you choose to keep them always in your life as such. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's a beautiful thing. I watched them. Um, so I was watching this uh, with all the nine 11 stuff that's been going on. Um, yeah. You know, the anniversary thing, the BBC documentary surviving nine 11, um, which Arthur Carey, I think did, which was yeah. fascinating. It was kind of looking at people's kind of, 
people who did survive it and those that survived the people who didn't survive it, if that makes sense. There was a, a guy on there who's lost his son. His son was working at Reuters and they never really got to the bottom of exactly how his son died, as I'm sure it is for many of the people who were in it. Um, but every year on the anniversary, just before that, I think he'd taken his son. They'd been for a walk in Wales to this particular part of Wales. And every year the dad just goes off on his own and does his own thing for 20 years. He's gone and done, just walked exactly the same path. And that's his kind of memorial to it. But like, yeah. it was, it's fascinating kind of seeing how that loss kind of leaves you with that sense of, it's just something you never forget, you know? And, and even though, you know, when I think about Jamie now, like I, he crops up in my thoughts in different ways at different times. And, yeah. you know, I sort of think it's, it's been kind of 20 years. The, the kids have been a big thing for me since having kids. It's like he'd have made a great dad. And, you know, yeah. I'd sort of think about those kind of relationships and stuff. And, you know, the nice thing is that they never really leave you, but actually what they do is kind of build different connections in different ways, you know, and actually if you don't take those away, then it's sort of, obviously it's happened and it's a tragic thing, but if you can't take something good away from it, i.e. the memories you've got or whatever, then, yeah, you know, what's it for, you know? I I talked about Jay in a podcast recently. I'm not sure when it will be out. It's a My Time Capsule podcast. Um, yeah. And... It had occurred to me recently that I'm almost jealous of Jay because he gets to be in a time capsule. And it was because <laughs> on, on these last couple of anniversaries, I've caught up with Chris and Simo and a few others on Zoom. Yeah. And Zoom forces us to look at each other. And as we're looking at each other now, I've got a lot of grey in my beard. Yeah. You've, you've, not, got, that, but... you've not got a lot of hair left. Um, Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> but but Jay gets to still be 21, look great yeah. in a vest, look, yeah. <laughs> have a great head of hair, all these things. It's like as all of us start to gradually decay. And it, yeah, it, it really it made me g- giggle noticing that in these past couple of anniversaries going, oh man, we're all getting far more old and haggard, yeah, more yeah. wrinkles and all that. And he's still that preserved person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way before. But I mean, you do have that kind of, well, you you kind of, you do sort of like take that moment in time and remember kind of what he was at, at that yeah. point, right? Yeah. Um, it's an interesting yeah. one. Well, I mean, continuing on, my memory, again, I, can't, I also can't remember when we first met, but I do remember always thinking that you were one of Chris and Mark's mates who seemed to have their sh- shit together, you seemed to have a level head. And it was a mix, right, in yeah. in, in your group of friends. And particularly I, all, all, all my mates up till then were all like m- m- metalers and punks. And yeah. the, that wasn't particularly your crowd. So there was, always remember, there were some people in your crowd that would jar into me personally. I was like, oh, that's not... That's not my kind yeah. of guy. Like some proper lads or geezers or whatever else. No need to name names, but we all know who they are. Yeah, <laughs> not going to name. Yeah, but there was a few that's like, oh, that, that's a proper. This isn't the crowd I mix in. But you were one that j- j- jumped out instantly. It's like, no, nah, this this lad's all right. Like you always yeah. seem to have your head together and be quite gr- gr- grown up, I guess. And that's why all the stuff that we're going to end up talking about is all the more interesting because it it to hear a lot of the struggles you went through and stuff like that really surprised me because again, it's that 
thing of unless you're told about it, you don't expect that. And you were someone who, yeah. Yeah. So together. So at some point you moved to Bath, right? And that's obviously us lot all being from Essex, in and around Essex. Yeah. That's a fair old trip. So what was the the reasoning and the and the thinking there as a starting point, I guess? A good woman, Pip, as it is for a lot of people. It's a good woman that did it to me. Like, I mean, I'd been in London for... <laughs> I'd been working in the city for... Like I say, I mean, like I grew up kind of um, chose sensible paths. My parents are sensible, non-risk-taking people, I suppose. Yeah. And I guess followed that because we all learn from our parents in that respect and I think so I was I kind of you know growing up I was always like actually I need to kind of get financially secure and all that and that was just how my brain worked you know and so I kind of went into the city because being in Essex and home counties that's kind of your choice is kind of it's what we're brought up isn't it you go and work in the city I never knew what that job was yeah I just knew you go and work in the city and earn money it's like I don't know what you're doing there yeah, I knew there's enough of them and I know that yeah. there's there's money in it. So yeah. go and do that. And yeah. I think at the time when I was at school, I was like, oh, I want to be a, wanted to be a stockbroker because I used to see like, you know, fast cars, yeah. fast, fancy stuff flying around. And you're like, money was never, you know, my parents were working class. We never really, you know, they struggled through life. They did fine. They worked really hard, but we never really had, you know, I'm not pleading poverty, but we never, we never had luxuries and stuff in life really, because it was always like, that's how we grew up. So I think, you know, they'd always been really encouraging and supportive of me in terms of like, go out and get that and, you know, don't have the struggles that we had in terms of money when interest rates were like through the roof and stuff like that. Get yourself to a stable place. So I think that kind of was always bred into me. And I think, you know, I guess that becomes part of your character as such. But so I'd spent like basically chasing money in the city really and doing, you know, some interesting jobs while I was there. Like it was exciting. I didn't, stockbroking actually wasn't for me, but like yeah. the trading side of foreign exchange that I worked in for quite a long time was, you know, that was full of adrenaline and all that when it needed to be. And that was actually quite fun. But I think what I realised was in 2008 when everything went pop yeah. and the money dried up, what I realised was, and I think I'd, the money had kind of mastered for quite a long time, but once the money dried up, what I realised was that as a person, I'm not made for that environment. I'm not, yeah. I'm people-centric, like a I'm a talker, I'm a kind of emotionally driven, I'm emotionally quite intelligent, or at least that's what I'm told. So I think in my head, I was like, this environment doesn't really suit me. Like, I really don't want to be here anymore. But almost at that point became kind of financially incarcerated because I'm earning good money. I'm living a really nice lifestyle in terms of like going out and doing what I want to do when I want to do it. Didn't have to say no to anything pretty much. Mm. I was single at the time, so I could go and do that. But it just got to a point where I was like, I don't want this anymore, but I don't know how to get out of it. Because if I try and retrain, what do you do? Oh, that's it. It's the hard thing to walk away because, yeah, in any job that you've been in or any industry that you've been in for a long time, particularly when it's bringing money in, it's really hard to go, I need to to step away and go somewhere else or do something else. Because I think particularly when you've come from a working class background you're like well no i've been poor yeah yeah. (laughs) i'm I'm now doing good (laughs) like how can i be complaining like how can i be going again i think a big thing that annoys me on the mental health front is the the dismissiveness of first world problems yeah the idea that just because you're not fighting for your life 
it doesn't mean anything. And as we'll get on to, your mental health doesn't give a shit about what class you are or what how much you're earning. If it's yeah. in a bad place, it's in a bad place. Um, yeah. And I mean, it's your normal, uh, right? Uh, we should mention we talked about l- uh, uh, losing a mate, Jamie. We lost Jamie to mental health to yeah, to, yeah. T- t- uh, to suicide. So again, I think all of us are maybe try to be all the more conscious and aware that hang on, am I in a bad place at the moment? Regardless of oh, yeah. but I'm earning. Oh, but other people have got it worse. It's like right, cool, yeah. but. But where am I? But you see, you see the com- you see the consequences of it, don't you? And I think yeah. that's the thing with mental health. It's like quite often, it sort of it starts out as just a little nagging, nagging thing in the back of your brain that's like, oh, I'm not really enjoying work at the moment, or I, you know, I'm not very, you know, I'm a bit overweight, or you know, it starts out with a tiny little detail that you know just sort of changes overnight or this is kind of how i see it anyway and then eventually over time because that's not big enough to talk about in terms of what have i got to complain about that grows a bit because it's been sitting there for 12 months or two years or whatever and then that becomes like your new baseline effectively and then the next thing happens and then it kind of accumulates like lego bricks you know where you've got like this bigger and bigger tower and then all of a sudden when you get when you get down to a state where you're looking for how somebody finds himself in a place where they want to take their own life. Yeah. It's not because the last thing happened. The last thing happened was just the thing that pushed them over the edge. It was all the things before that, that were, you know, that could have been handled differently. All the small things that, yeah. And actually, you know, were they given an opportunity to talk about those things and did they take an opportunity or look for it, you know, in a way where, I mean, that's always the thing that's, sticks out for me and I, I find like really jarring with Jamie is the fact that he was booked to go and see his psychotherapist that day wasn't he yeah and you yeah. sort of think how you know the whole sliding doors thing kind of how could that have gone differently yeah if yeah. his appoint if his appointment had been at nine o'clock in the morning like what would that have meant or yeah. do you know what I mean rather than lunchtime or whatever it was it's yeah. just like those sort of uh, and that sort of sticks of that sense of like that was just that little bit too late potentially and yeah. that's that's the tragedy of it, I suppose. And so, with kind of mental health generally, I mean, Jamie's kind of always. That, I guess he was a trigger for it in a lot of ways in terms of the work that I do now. And kind of, although I didn't necessarily think that, I think yeah. what it did make me realise was that because our friendship group was close, I'm not going to go through that again. Um, yeah. Literally, there's there is no need, and if it's uncomfortable for people to talk about things, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna try and work it out. Gonna yeah. push you. I'm gonna ask you questions, and I'm not gonna make it awkward. But I am gonna make sure that you know that you can talk about it with me. Yeah. Um, because actually, that's the creating a safe space for someone to talk. I mean, what I've learned through the work I've done is that actually the environments the the, the biggest part of it you know creating a safe environment for somebody yeah. to, to talk i feel i feel and and we'll we'll, we'll get on to it but i feel some of the, the stuff that you've been doing it makes me feel like um the environment of open mics yeah so open mics really everyone's just there to do their thing yeah. but in them being there they're an audience for the other people to share to, to do their thing and it works perfectly because if it was the pressure of you're approaching someone just to talk to them about your stuff yeah it's weird and it's uncomfortable whereas if you know everyone is there 
waiting for their turn as such. It feels more the pressure's off, everyone's nervous, everyone's getting up and doing it. It's, you know, it's, yeah. that, it's that weird scenario. It's a, it's sort of creating a, a place to be vulnerable, isn't it? And like yeah. in, in whether that be with mental health or whether that be in terms of putting yourself out there with something you've created. And we've talked a bit about poetry and stuff like that yeah. recently. Yeah. And I've kind of thought about doing an open mic for a long time now yeah. and I've just not had the bottle to do it yet. Yeah. Um, but it sort of, it takes a little while to get to a place whereby you feel comfortable enough to sort of go, actually I've done enough thinking about this. Now's the time to kind of push into yeah. doing it. And so when you kind of flip that into mental health, it's like with an open mic, it's just a case of, do you share it or do you not share it with the world? And that's a scary thing. I'm sure but it is a scary thing, but it's also a really liberating thing Yeah. with mental health. It's like, so if we're comparing it to that and we look at the room that you're, that you're in doing an open mic or whatever, it's like, well, what does that room feel like? And you know, when you're met at the door, are you kind of greeted with a welcome and kind yeah. of come and sit down and yeah. are you, are you sitting on bar stools sort of dotted around the room looking at each other or is it a comfortable sofa where you're kind of immersed in a space that feels normal and natural yeah. to you and kind of removing all the barriers to, oh, uh, this, I, I did a video once for the charity work that I was doing for dads. And um, so the video I did was before we had a session and it was literally just filming the room. And I was like, look, I just want to talk you through the room and tell you how this is going to wash because if you're afraid of sofas, then that's cool. Don't come. If you're afraid of normal guys like me who are just dads wanting to talk, then don't come. But if actually what you're trying to do is look for people that are in a similar situation, this is it. And we're having some pizza and we're having a drink and that's kind of all it is. So don't put any pressure on yourself to do any more than that. It's just, you know, make it what you want to make it, you know, and making it and making people feel comfortable to take that step in their own way because you can't push anyone into talking. It's just not, doesn't work that way, you know? I love it. Well, let's kind of uh, jump back and forth and around then. So you stopped working in the city. You you met an amazing woman. You moved to Bath. Yeah. And then you started a family. You know, you became a parent. The greatest thing in the world, right? The greatest moment of your life. The happiest day of your life. The happiest period, happiest moment. That's what you're told. In many ways, yeah, that's what you're sold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it is, you know. In, I mean, the, the beauty of it is it's a miracle, right? Like it's, yeah. you know, I still, it's, it's all a bit cheesy and cliche, but it genuinely is. There's not many, there's not many things in life that you kind of have literally almost no control over and it just happens to you if yeah. you're lucky enough to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're kind of given this, yeah, in the build-up to having a, Wilbur but it was like oh this is cool pregnancy went well everything was going quite smoothly no real complications that was all good as gold and then uh yeah and then we had uh, my wife's birth I say our birth because I definitely didn't go through much of that <laughs> bit um yeah. I was there supporting I cheerleading and all that but um yeah so yeah it was it was long. It was like a three-day birth or something like wow. that. And there was a lot of trauma that kind of came with that. We ended up having like an emergency C-section and that there were points at which she was... I have a memory of... The thing that struck me afterwards was there is never, or well, presumably very, very rarely, an opportunity that you end up in a surgery, in a clinical surgery, witnessing a surgery happening 
as an average Joe, you just don't go in there because you're not a doctor, you're not an anaesthetist, you're not a nurse, you're not any of those things. So yeah. you, but in an emergency C-section within like 20 minutes, you're told, right, get your scrubs on, you're coming in and we're going to deliver your baby. So it's like, okay, so come and sit down. Lucy's on quite a lot of drugs because yeah. they're pain and all that sort of stuff. And she'd had an epidural. So she's lying on the bed. And I, the only way, the way I've always described it is it felt like the exorcist because she was like lying on the bed. The anaesthetist kind of sat at, at her head end and I'm sat next to him. And she's just lying there, like having convulsions, like shaking wow. like uncontrollably, just saying like, I can't feel my face. And I was like, she can't feel her face. Like... And, and at that time, what sort of struck me was the fact that actually I've gone from a place where four days ago, this was all like utopian and it was yeah. all going to be like, yeah, we're in control of this. You know, it's up to us how we have a baby and all this to a yeah. place where it's like, actually, I could quite feasibly lose my wife and my newborn child at this point and I'd have to live with that. Um, That's and you, horrifying. Yeah, and you don't really get... Uh, and the thing is, that's I, I'm saying that... that it does sound kind of traumatic and it is traumatic, but it happens to a lot of people in very different ways. I mean, birth is a very traumatic thing. Regardless of how it happens, it's a very, very hectic thing. And then obviously after that, you're kind of propelled into, okay, now care for this newborn baby 24 seven and kind of find your feet. Yeah. So you never really get a time to, excuse me, reflect on what you've been through, you know, in any other sort of, trauma or whatever you get the opportunity to kind of look at it and go okay well i'm just going to take some time to kind of process it i might get some counseling or therapy for it but actually you're generally firefighting because you're not you're sleep deprived you're you know the baby's not feeding or breastfeeding's not working or blah 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 blah. any number of combinations of things that are going on so you're basically just sort of surviving and what you have to do i suppose in that first instance is kind of look after baby has to come first because they're vulnerable and because they're tiny right and they they rely on you mm-hmm. um but it's this kind of whirlwind that i think the shock factor is built into it but it's just buried at the bottom kind of thing you don't really know what's going on i think they can they can from what i've seen there can be a lot of damaging self-criticism as well in those in those periods because like as you said prior to all of this you think Oh, I'm in control. Here's how we're going to do the birth. Yeah. You're not in control. Um, oh, here's how I'm going to raise my kid and things like that. And there's so much that it's one thing to be doing it, saying this from the outside. I'm not going to let them have screens or watch TV and so on and so forth. And yeah. when you're in it, it's a completely different thing. And I think that can be a damaging at times because it can instantly make you feel as if you're failing in some way, that yeah. that, that, that you're not already, you, you've gone back on one of your beliefs of here's yeah. how parenthood is and things like that. And that can, can yeah. build up internally, I guess. Well, I remember having a, you saying that as a funny story um, with Mark, funny enough, because I think when Noah was born, but like he slept, they, they basically had him in their bed till he was three. Yeah. And I remember having a, I met him, we'd gone out somewhere and he'd said, this is before I had kids. And uh, he said to me, uh, oh, mate, I'm getting no sleep at the moment. I'm getting no sleep. Like, he's just sleeping, like, horizontal and kicking me and, like, yeah. kicking Standard. me in the throat and chopping. And it, and I'm like, mate, I don't mean to be rude, but I watched this programme the other day and they just said, 
that it's just like a weak sleep training. Don't you just need to suck it up and get on with it? And uh, and he he was like, I've oh, been like yeah, that with mate. Amy. Yeah, yeah. Who, you've been yeah, on yeah. Amy's Mama Mama podcast. She's, I mean, Juno still regularly sleeps in with her. And there was points <laughs> early on with just Lola. I was like, mate, you need to, to, to sort this out. And then hearing you on Mum and Mama go through the intensity of the sleep training of all the other things is like, all right, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not, not the same. It's not that simple. <laughs> but I phoned I phone Mark and apologise afterwards. Um, I went, because when our little one was like 18 months, I'm driving out at like three o'clock in the morning, trying to get him to sleep, like for an hour at a time. And yeah. then I, I phoned him and I said, are you like a massive apology? I was a, a massive prick for assuming that I had any idea what it was like to have a kid. So I'm sorry and I hope you forgive me for it. But uh, we laugh about it now. But yeah. You know, it's like like most things in life. Until you've experienced it, you can't measure it, can you? You don't know what it's like, kind of thing. You can only, you can hope to kind of have some sympathy, but you can't really empathise with it until you've been yeah. through it. You know. Yeah. So, I mean, as you say, these things build up, and you've got no time to address them because you're dealing with keeping a child alive. As a mother, you're dealing with that direct importance of all that contact, all that you're the the life support for this child, and as a father you're trying to be there in every way you can for a child and for you yeah. know, the mother. Um, so it builds up and builds up. So what was the point where you realised it wasn't going in a good direction or you had to do something to address things? Well, I think kind of like, I don't know, Lucy, Lucy's got um, my memory of it slightly different. And I think that's just because I can't make head nor tail of it really. But there was a period where... We just didn't, we were like rabbit in the headlights, didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. And then after a little while, but Lucy just wasn't herself. You know, she hadn't bonded in the way she wanted to with Wilbur and she'd left this kind of, you know, she really wasn't herself. You know, she's a really happy, go lucky, you know, full of life and energy type person. And that had kind of left her a bit, I suppose. Mm. And I didn't really, you know, we just put, you know, sleep's always been a, bit of a comedy moment in our house and as far as like, I'm okay with no sleep I'm not perfect but I'm I'm better she's not um it's not a favorite thing to be without sleep let's put it that yeah. way so I was like oh it's probably just sleep deprivation or whatever but then after a while we saw a health visitor and they were like you know have you ever thought you know they started to do a bit of an assessment of gently of like what sort of symptoms and what sort of feelings are you having and it transpired that she had postnatal depression which in itself was like a, you know, you've, you've kind of got to come to terms with that because the reality of postnatal depression is that it's not, a, it's not a choice and it's nothing you do. It's to do with hormones and it's a condition. It's, you know, the same yeah. with most illnesses. They aren't you know, the same with a broken leg, but it's just, it's just cast with different symptoms and caused by different chemical reactions in your body and stuff. And it just happens to some people. I think it's why so much mental health related stuff is hard for people who haven't gone through it to get their heads around because they've had moments where they're a bit down and they've just pulled themselves out of it yeah. and it, it can be easy to kind of think well just pull yourself out of it yeah yeah pull yourself I together did. yeah it's not as simple as that when there is particularly more so with postnatal depression and postnatal mania and all these other things because there's so many hormones involved it's not there's so much that's completely out of your control. It's not even that you've got a, just got a genetic disposition to this or you're always, you know, 
open to dark periods or whatever. It's no, everything has changed in your body. This can come completely out of nowhere. You could be someone who's never had any mental health yeah. struggles or issues at all. And that makes it even more challenging because you don't know what the fuck's going on. You're like... Yeah not used to feeling like this so yeah it's unimaginable yeah and you sort of you know you do get sidelined by it because you you don't you don't see it coming and you don't really know what it is and obviously at the same time it's a really complex and uh, like dynamic set of circumstances because you are at the same time still trying to raise a child you're still trying to work largely I was quite lucky that I was able to take some time off and chose to but you know a lot of people you know dads are back to work in as a rule of thumb in a couple of weeks so it's sort of like you're trying to juggle that and you're still trying to keep food on the table and while leaving mum at home if she's not in a good place then that's not ideal and so the irony is that it's sort of like you, you get caught in this sort of like plethora of things and actually it makes it really foggy to try and work out actually what's going on yeah um but once you're once you sort of work out that that is the thing, then there's a whole period of like uh, acceptance, right? You've got to accept that you've got that. And if you have been through kind of depression or anxiety and those kind of things before, then you've, you've kind of got a precedent to some extent, which is helpful Mm. because it means that you can spot signs and symptoms, but it's also like um, you are more predisposed to going through the circumstances with postnatal. But um I mean, what's interesting with it is also like, like postnatal depression happens to one in 10 dads and you mm. think, how does that work out? But actually, you know, there's so, there's so much that happens physiologically and mentally when a baby arrives that, you know, it, it's quite natural that you would end up with these kind of complications, it's a lot of stress. And I, I'm saying all these negative things, but there are, there are amazing things about having a baby as well. Of course. Of course of there course. are. But they get talked about an awful lot. And I, they do. again, on the the father's postnatal depression stats, I wonder how much that oh, there is undiagnosed. Because I've seen so many different people over the years who I think haven't addressed how much they're struggling with the fact that the weirdness of those initial months or whatever, where they're not necessarily needed they are needed but it's the mum that's really needed and yeah. the mum will often be the one having this really close bond and the dad will be the one who's kind of like oh every time i pick her up she cries yeah and and, th- and things like that and it's i think there's loads i think there's loads there that goes undiagnosed and causes bad parenting habits in yeah down the line you know and i think that's a worrying thing yeah, you end up feeling like a third wheel, don't you? Like to something, yeah. and we've all anyone who's got kids will know what it feels like to kind of. I'm kind of going through it with my two year old at the moment. Like she is all mum at the moment, and it's like yeah. it's a real psychological battle when your daughter that you love very much, kind of the minute you walk in the room, says to you, "No, Dada, go away," and you're like, "Okay." Um, have I done anything wrong? It's no, me. absolutely nothing wrong. But it's like happens when it happens yeah. initially, you're like, okay, I'll be the adult about this. And it's like, she's just having a bad day. And then it kind of, they all go through it. Like I'll be flavor of the month one week and then I'll be kind of like not required the next, but it taps into all your own kind of childhood behaviors and your childhood yeah. normals that you've kind of got. Um, I'm, I'm, I remember being around Amy's at, at, at one point and, I think I'd been quite strict with Lola over something. Yeah. And just her saying to Amy, 
I think I'd like Uncle Dave to leave now. <laughs> and just kind of, it's all laughing it off, but feeling how that hit. So I can, you know, I can only imagine how much more intense that is as 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 the parent. But it, yeah. it was a moment of, that we're all like, oh, that's funny. But yeah. it was clear that she meant it. Yeah. It's clear that it wasn't a joke. It was clear that she wanted me to leave and didn't want me there anymore. And I, I said, I still remember that to this day, l- laughing about it, but that instant reaction was somewhere in my stomach that it was like, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. P- particularly as the godparent that I get to come around and be the cool, the yeah, cool, yeah. cool godparent who's not there all the time and just, yeah, has fun. To I have just that turn up, of, bring presents, like, have loads of exactly, fun. Exactly. Yeah. I get to be fun and go home and not deal with the harsh bits, but to go, yeah. So I yeah. can completely, I can only imagine how much magnified that is when you're walking in your own house with your own child and they're saying, no, go. <laughs> yeah. All right. I mean, it is cutting and it is like, <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, kids are just unashamedly honest, aren't they? And open. And actually, yeah. what I suppose what our brains do is we attribute an adult saying that to us and, and knowing what that would feel like if an adult said it. And you've got to kind yeah. of keep it into context and say, well, they're not adults. They're just children that are kind of dealing yeah. with, because in one moment they'll be crying and the next moment they're smiling. And that they're kind of, they have such momentary kind of reactions to things, whereas we harbour things and as adults, we kind of keep hold of of it and we process it and we move beyond it and we we try and work out what we need to do with it. Um, And so you kind of almost have to take yourself onto their level, you know. Um, But yeah, so I'm coming back to the whole thing with the postnatal stuff. It it happened and we were lucky we got help... um, we got some amazing help from a charity in Bath that were doing, they do like drama therapy and art therapy, which allowed Lucy to kind of work through what she was feeling by using kind of props and, you know, and it it was incredible in terms of how it, it refocused her mind on kind of what she was feeling and what she was thinking. And, you know, after about three years that all kind of washed its face and, and ended up, we came through it, but I think what I I kind of learned from that was that, well, many things, but one of the things I learned was that it, we've all got to look after ourselves and yeah. you can't fix somebody who's going through a mental health problem. It's not, but like we were saying earlier on in terms of when, when people are ready to talk, it's like they, they have to choose to kind of help themselves. The help has to be there, but it has to be available for somebody to literally pick up and take with them and kind of do something yeah. with rather than, you know, being kind of forced upon them but having not really been you know when we were saying earlier about kind of all I'd always been sensible and those things had never really hit me I'd never really been through I had periods of low mood and stuff like that going through teenage years and there are things that I remember growing up that sort of stick with me but I would never say I'd had a period of depression or anything like that mm. um but the upshot of it all, I suppose, is that you're you're then trying to make sense of it all and ch- and trying to find help that yeah. suits you and that works for you. And so, I suppose in that period, I had to learn to be patient, really, and to accept that Lucy needed to fix herself, and that I could only try and help guide her to the the right help to try and navigate that. You know, it can be a a really tough thing to not be able to fix someone as such as someone you you love and care about and want to be able to just go it's okay i've sorted it but as you say though it's a combination because people have to talk when they're ready but equally you can do a lot to make that 
a more comfortable, as you talked about, environment and things earlier. Like yeah. people need to, <laughs> people can only throw themselves off a bridge when they're ready. But yeah, but you can set up a nice bungee rope, a nice <laughs> a nice harness, a nice camp, like all these things to make it more appealing, so that yeah, when yeah. they are ready, it's a safe environment for them to, to yeah. Uh, to do it so that's kind of it's the balance of the two I, I i worry sometimes that it can be a dismissive thing of oh they'll talk when they're ready and you walk yeah. away and leave them it's like well no they will talk when they're ready but they could end up being ready earlier because of yeah you've you've, you've let them know that there's a safe place to to do, to this. do it yeah i mean it's appropriate that we i suppose we're talking about this like having this conversation today i've literally come back from so we start i've started a thing with my gym today called lighten the load which is for dads and the idea being that what we're trying to achieve there is kind of creating that safe space for dads to talk freely about kind of what they're going through build a network they're doing some exercise at the same time so all those kind of positive things but creating like a non-threatening environment for them to do that and you know there's a what do they say it's like a the reason there's a reason that most conversations most deep and meaningful conversations happen in a car is because you're not looking people in the eye and you're yeah um, they're all like really subtle things but like going on a walk was like well that's what we need to do and I know that you know for me like in terms of practicing self-care and looking after myself now exercise is a huge part of that I'm fitter than I've ever been I'm 40 years old and kind of love the fact that I can sort of play all the sports I want with my kids, sort of throw them on my shoulders when I want them, yeah. run around with them. And that's a real, that boils me up and it makes me feel good about myself. And, and actually on top of that, I get all the chemicals and stuff and all the endorphins that kind of flow with it. So it's sort of creating that space that sort of feeds all the good habits that you need whilst also recognizing the fact that taking that first step to being in a place where you feel in quite a dark place or you've got no one to talk to that actually taking the step isn't huge it's just like baby steps you know and it actually it can build into something more and that's my kind of hope with it is that we grow it into something that is much more you know that it can kind of catalyze people to get to places that are amazing for them in the end but it all starts with getting up at getting meeting up at eight o'clock on a Thursday morning and going for a walk and then meeting a couple of new dads that are all in the same situation, you know? I love um, it. I'm, I'm massive on the idea of big conversations on walks because I think we've built a culture in the UK where the big conversations happen over a pint and yeah. all good if that's your thing, but alcohol isn't conducive to big conversations. It isn't necessarily yeah. going to make them better or easier yeah. or or solve more and then it can become a crutch for an already bad situation so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm massive on I've, I've i've only done it two or three times but there's been two or three times when mates of mine i know have been going through some stuff and we've been tr- trying to arrange to meet up and trying to figure out and i've just said let's go for a walk yeah, yeah. um i remember one really clear of just there was a particular place in south end yeah, Chalkwell Station, where I'd park up and essentially yeah. walk from there all the way into South End. And me and yeah. a mate just walked all that way and talked. And yeah. as you say, we didn't have to have the pressure of eye contact. Yeah. We didn't have to have the pressure of thinking, oh, people are overhearing us because we're just moving. There's no one yeah. There's no one constantly there. So, so yeah. So what was yeah. the point that you 
managed to talk to someone about what you were going through and what inspired you to start setting up groups and safe environments for others to have that come those conversations well i think because lucy and i have always had a really sort of honest relationship and we talk a lot we're, we're quite reflective um then kind of after we were coming out the back of it uh, of her struggle then it was like well, what could we have done differently and you know we wanted more children so it was like we'd love more children but we're definitely not doing that again so yeah. how how do we kind of manage or control the controllables or whatever what what yeah. can we do about that and what was missing for us and there wasn't an environment for men to talk at that at that point so at that point in time the business that i was sort of had set up was called kid and bear and kid and bear was designed to kind of um so it was kind of making gifts for families to kind of make them proud of the achievement it is to raise a child regardless of the fact that it's a normal thing to do but recognizing the fact that it's also a really difficult thing to do and it's probably yeah. the toughest job in the world um, so we were we were talking about that and we said oh maybe maybe what we need to do is kind of we wanted to do something charitably out of it anyway so we were like well we'll create a charitable arm that gives dads a space to talk because mums get plenty of opportunities because quite naturally they've given birth and they've gone through all the physiological trauma and um the gestational period all that kind of stuff so it's perfectly reasonable that the nhs and medicine at large would put them first because they're the risk essentially they're the ones 100%. that need looking after but I think what we learned from it was like, actually, this is about building better families. It's about kind of, you're all part of a family. And we live in a time where dads are more involved in their kids' lives than they've ever been. And that's amazing. But it's mm. also, but it's lacking a bit in terms of, we're not equal, but we're equal in terms of the commitment to kind of wanting to build a family. So we, you know, we were like, oh, maybe we start a charity or something that kind of gives dads that opportunity. And then I got connected into Dads in Mind, which is based in uh, Bristol. And they were looking for somebody in Bath to kind of run those kind of groups and sessions for dads to talk about their mental health. So long story short, I kind of spoke to them. I was a good fit for what they were looking for. And so I did that for a couple of years, which was kind of regular groups, monthly groups that dads could come to. And then also like one-to-one -one support as well. So I'd meet dads, go for a walk or, you know, sit down for a coffee or whatever and just chew over what they what they had going on. And part of the beauty of it, I think, was the fact that we weren't, we weren't, I'm not clinical in any way. All, all I can mm. offer is empathy and understanding as a dad. And that is much less threatening than meeting a clinical psychologist or sitting down with a counsellor. I was going to say, I think it can be a great stepping stone as well if someone does need professional help and guidance and, and and things like that because as you say there's such taboos around it or it's, it seems like such a big step so yeah that's a beautiful thing that it's just no this is just a couple of dads meeting up or a group of dads meeting up it's not it's not a yeah. big deal guys it's okay yeah, you yeah. just turn up and it's it's nice and there were, i mean there were sessions that i had i remember one session with a guy who literally didn't say anything for he kind of introduced himself and didn't say anything for nearly two hours and then at the end kind of just said the last question I asked of the group was to sort of sit down and say who were you before you had kids and what did your identity look like because identity is a huge part of people's 
the struggles people have is that before you have kids, you have hobbies and interests and things that you love and that you are part of who you are. And work is also part of that and friendships. And actually quite a lot of that when you have kids, it has to change because you can't go yeah. out and play golf five times a week because you've, you know, it's like 20 hours a week. Who's got 20 hours a week to spend mm. on a golf course when they're looking after a kid or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I asked the question of the group and said, Oh, well, who were you before? before you had kids and what did you love doing went round the room kind of got round to this guy who'd said like been really quiet and just doing a lot of like active listening throughout kind of thing and he said i don't know if i can answer that his kid his kids at the time his little boy was two and he said i don't know if i can answer that because i don't know who i am anymore and uh makes me almost well up just sort of yeah. thinking about it now because like to think that somebody's got to a point where by the trauma they've been through of having a child, which should be this amazing thing has left them in a situation where he doesn't know who he is anymore. And he hasn't practiced any self care for like two years. And so it's not really a surprise that, you know, that, that those sorts of things then progress on to becoming much bigger things that people take drastic measures for, you know, and they end up kind yeah. of, they break relationships or they take their own lives or whatever, you know, um yeah and so what filled me with a lot of hope from that conversation was like it's, he he kind of left saying i'm going to make it my thing after this session to go away and think about it and kind of come back next time to sort of work out and and give some feedback on who i am and try and remember yeah. who i am you know and so just you know that was a group of like-minded guys who were all having their own difficulties none the same but yeah. all kind of sharing the same struggle a little bit um, and kind of working through that together. And it's amazing what it can do, you know? I love it. So, yeah. And then, I've, you know, since then, I, I've, I've been involved with um, Talk Club and I'm just sort of rejuvenating that now. We're trying to set that up again in Bath. That kind of had a bit of a period in Bath where it was active. And that's all about men's mental health and getting men to talk, breaking down that stigma and... So that's a really great initiative was set up by, in fact, it kind of, my initial involvement in that was born out of Jamie really. And as far as it was all came out of a film that was made called Steve done by Ben Akers. He's an amazing filmmaker based in Bristol. He'd lost his childhood best friend to suicide. And so he wanted to explore why it happens to men and why are men so much more prevalent with it. And then Talk Club was the output of that. So when we talk about mm. kind of earlier on about saying, well, you know, obviously they're tragic events, but if we don't take something good from it, then what, what's it worth kind of thing? Um, yeah. Talk Club was the output of that. And there's now like thousands of men around the world who are regularly talking about subjects that aren't just football and beer and all that kind of mundane stuff. They're opening yeah. their mind to all sorts of different subjects that are being honest about how they're feeling, you know? I love that because it is such a weird taboo again it's something i talk about on the podcast a lot because i've been really lucky and my family have always been really comfortable talking about death mental health all sorts of stuff like that and it wasn't until i started to do more stuff in the public eye that i kind of yeah. got to find out that that isn't isn't normal and isn't the norm and so many people aren't doing that so yeah it's amazing to see that that's ch changing yeah. But I don't know, it's more exciting to hear about, for some reason for me, it feels more exciting to hear about this, a small group of blokes in Bath, in a room, all talking, more so than these huge campaigns or 
huge podcasts or whatever else because it feels that much more intimate and you know there's there's direct change yeah being m- m- made there it's not this grander conceptual thing yeah but, yeah I mean, I think that, you know, Born Human as uh, as a concept was kind of founded on the back of the work that I did with Dads in Mind, really. It was a, uh, and to do exactly that really was to, what I kind of realised was through that work was that those sessions were really great in terms of helping people that were struggling. But having gone through what I'd gone through, or we'd gone through as a, a family, kind of getting to the point we were at, it always struck me that it was coming too late. It was always like, actually, for most things in life, if we prepare better for them, then the outcomes are better. It's not like that's not a coincidence that. And and if 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 we're prepared honestly, I I spoke to Laura Dockrell about this, who went through terrible stuff with her her child and had 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 postnatal mania and had to be committed into hospital and all sorts of stuff. And her thing was. She just wished someone had told her or warned her because it made it all the worse that she was like, "Oh, this isn't normally happening," or "This, yeah, this is unique to me." Particularly with anything mental health wise, you can make it a, a lot worse. You can't yeah. control over if you get it or not, but you can make it a lot worse if it's all in your head and building and building. So, not saying that we should scare. <laughs> people who are wanting to become parents or are soon to become parents or whatever else. But I love that and Born Human as a podcast is an example of that, of, of more open and honest conversations of like, as we've said numerous times here, obviously it is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. But also <laughs> there's this and there's this and, th- and this is hard and this changes forever and you yeah. didn't know that was going to happen and yeah. And actually, it is having those difficult conversations. If we just kind of sugarcoat everything, then it's it becomes, like you say, much more difficult to cope with them when they do happen. But also, it makes you feel so much more alone. Uh, and the the whole point of the Born Human podcast was that it was to create an environment where people hear real life stories of what people have been through. And you know what I learned through supporting dads was that actually just hearing somebody else's story halves the load on your shoulders. It mm. feels like you've lost half of it almost over in an hour or whatever. I honestly think think parenthood aside, it's so... It, there's something really important about hearing other people's struggles, the small parts of it that you relate to and the small parts of it that you don't relate to. Um, yeah. I've listened to almost every episode of Mum and, and Mama and I'm... You know, that started focusing on s- s- single mums and then parents in general and people in general. Yeah. I found things I relate to in all of them. And the two episodes of Born Human I've listened to, I've loved and found loads I've related to, despite not being a parent. So it's a weird one that both of those podcasts mentioned. If you are a parent, absolutely es- essential listening, in my opinion. But even if you're not, yeah. you'll probably get a lot from them. You'll probably get a lot that you go, all oh, right, I didn't really... Re- realize that and i said even for me learning things that my mates might be going through that i don't realize and learning things that there's struggles here because again i tend to think oh you've had a child cool oh i've seen some pictures that's lovely wicked i'll see you in a bit you're probably going to be busy and and not (laughs) necessarily thinking about the ups and downs or the yeah the struggles 
checking in. I mean, yeah, the, one of the things that when I started recording the Born Human podcast was yeah. one of the things that struck me was the fact that there are so many parallels and life is so sort of transient in terms of just because the circumstances aren't exactly the same, the undertone and the underlying messages are are very, very similar. And the, so the one that's sort of out at the moment with Amy Williams, the whole point of getting that was, the whole point of having that conversation was to look at, we're living in Bath and kind of, I've sort of met quite a few people who come through like the rugby circuit and that kind of thing. And so yeah. many of them go through this journey of like, they're built up, and they spend their whole life committing to one thing. And then as sports people, of course, you have a lifespan, right? You mm-hmm. know, beyond about 35, you don't function in the same way. And so yeah. you're not as competitive as you once were, or you're not at the top of your game. And at some point you retire from sport, but you're retiring from sport with like 40, 45 years of life left in you. Yeah. Um, and who are you in that afterwards? And It, it really reminded me of a – I recorded a great podcast a few years back now with Rob Parker – who's a good friend, who was exactly that, a rugby player, Mm. and played for England, all sorts of stuff. And then it was over and adjusted. And it's one of my favourite podcasts, but more so the conversations I've had with Rob in the years since then, and watching his journey as he's kind of, as I said, addressed it more and come to terms with stuff and gone, right, who am I? Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm figuring out who I am and I don't have to be what, I wanted to impress everyone in the, I was going to say on the rugby pitch, more in the bar after the rugby yeah. match. I, I, I don't need to be that character that I'm, I wanted to impress these people or do this or do that. I can be me and yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, and and it's, I think of, often it's admitting who you are to the world yeah. like because people work is a really because of the world we live in, work and social media and all those things give us an opportunity to kind of put on a, face of who we'd like to be but not necessarily who we actually are and it takes it's, a lot of courage to be vulnerable and be exactly who you are to the world and hope it is received in the right way you know it's 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 one of the reasons i started the podcast way back in the day because i was genuinely worried that people because of my music thought i was way better than i am <laughs> if you know what i mean because because in the music it's all stuff that I've got to intellectually slave over and slave over every word and every l- lyric. It's yeah. like half the time, as you know, if we're out, it's not all big, deep conversations and big, huge yeah. realisations. It's ch- chatting shit yeah. and, f- and fucking about. And I started to think, I think people, number one, think I'm far more educated than I am. I think yeah. they think I'm far more deep than I am. It's just the bits that you've seen yeah. give you this impression I think let me just what, correct you we, on that. I'm really not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or, 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 or one of the things that happened and again. It's a weird one because it sounds like it's a weird thing to say, but loads of people kept assuming I was vegan. Oh, really? And, and I'm not. And again, I'm not anti-vegan. I've, I've in in recent years, I've cut down on meat massively, and I, I completely support veganism. I'm just not fully vegan as such but it was a weird thing that because of the subjects i talk about because of the way i'm presented in the music weirdly that tied in with veganism so i had loads of people assuming that and i was like i feel like i'm living a lie i feel like this this version i've I've presented you all isn't accurate so i'd rather do a podcast where i'm talking every week and you can 
love me or hate me for a more accurate version of me, if you know what yeah, I mean, yeah. rather than this, yeah, this fictionalised one that I've built up in th- yeah. four albums or five albums or whatever. And there's a real, yeah. there's a real honesty in that, and I think it takes a lot of courage to kind of be who you actually are to the world. And, yeah. and I think, you know, on a different, in a different way, in a different scale, you know, when I move from kind of my old working life to kind of what I do today, this very much feels like what I was put on this earth to do was to kind of help people because that's kind of what I am. Yeah. I think I'm a, I'm pretty good at in some ways. Um, it even feels weird saying that like, I'm not very good at kind of praising myself and stuff, but no, it is something that I feel quite good at. And so, you know, whereas banking was just a means to an end or, you know, it was like, a, is that my existence? And, you know, when it comes to my gravestone, what do I want written on it? You know, I think this, this is something really interesting that when you start to be as open as you can about who you are, you start to think more about who you want to be. Yeah. Like I I think I've improved m- myself m- massively over the years and part of that is because I'm like right no I want to be honest about who I am. Yeah. And there's certain parts of me at this period or that period that I'm like I don't feel I can be honest about. It's like so why don't you ch- change those bits? If there's anything about you that 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 that, that you kind of feel I feel a bit ashamed about that. It's like, well, maybe you should. Yeah. <laughs> maybe don't <laughs> maybe be that person anymore. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe improve and things like that. And I think that can be a really rewarding thing. And it feels like that you l- leaving your job in the, s- the city and moving to Bath kind of gave you a moment to go, well, who do I want to be? Yeah. Because that's who I was. And I didn't yeah. really feel that's who I was. So yeah. who do I want to be? Now let's build that and strive towards that. And it's, yeah, it's turned into so many good things that are helping so many different people. Yeah, I mean, it opens, it's opened a lot of doors and in different ways. And there's, you know, there's a, a, the same with mental health. It's like you, there's a really, there's really uncomfortable parts to it that you have to kind of sit with to become okay with in some ways and really recognising yourself and kind of be like, okay, I don't know what this is supposed to feel like yet, but I'm prepared to wait it out and just sort of try and make some sense of it whereas because of the world we live in we want kind of instantaneous answers you know like immediate gratification and it's like actually when you're trying to understand what's going on in your brain quite a lot of the time you need to take a few months to kind of make some sense of it and I suppose I was you know I was fortunate financially to be able to do that a lot of people aren't in that position um but it doesn't last forever and it's like you know at some point you know, you've still got to pay bills again because I don't have endless pots of money to be able to do it. But yeah, it helped me find myself at least anyway and hopefully find a different path and, and carved it in a different way that sort of feels like it's true to who I am, you know? I love um, that. Well, to wrap things up, um, where can people keep up to date on things and, and what's to come on, on Born Human? As I said, you've launched now and, yeah, yeah as, as I've told you privately, I think it's a fantastic podcast. I think it's really important conversations one of the questions i get a lot on this podcast is um have you ever considered having non-famous people on and what that question actually means is can i come on your podcast because i have loads of non non-famous people on and have always yeah. had a variation of people on but what that always means is w- would you talk to me on your podcast and the yeah, answer yeah. is generally no but i think it's exciting having these conversations with as you say just real people and normal people yeah and giving it a platform yeah there's a leveling factor to it and that's kind of what i wanted 
wanted to do with yeah. Born Human was like very much make it about, yes, I'll speak to some people who've had a journey who happen to be in the public eye, yeah. but also the majority of it is normal people going through normal shit that you kind of have to make some sense of. So yeah, the podcast out now, um, check us out at Born Human Podcast. Um, we've, I think this season should run through till about March and we're releasing it every two weeks because as a parent, I can't listen to one every week. As much yep. as I'd love to keep up with distraction pieces, Pip, I think no. I'm about 300 behind. Yep, it happens. So yeah, we're on there <laughs> and, um, you know, as part of the wider thing, Born Human is a consultancy and we're trying to work with businesses to kind of help their parents. So that's also a, a function of trying to get ahead of the game and sort of work with people at work to kind of support them in a different way and create a totally different dynamic in their workplace. So that's out there now. So if, you know, businesses are looking to speak to us. That's really good because, I mean, it's something that's being discussed a, a lot at the moment with maternity pay and and, and things like that. And all that's ever seems to be discussed is pay and time off. And yeah. th there should be so much more as part of that. There should be so much more care in there. There should be so much more f facilitating, helping, as I said, m m mental health, care and assistance, adapting in and out of work and things, things like that, rather than just w one side saying, oh, they should be given more time off, and the other side saying, well, I ain't got kids. Yeah. <laughs> Why are they getting paid to have all this time off and things like that? It's like, number one, fuck off. But number two, <laughs> that isn't the only, it's not only a money thing. It's, it's, it's a far grander. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're more than just, a, the way we see it is that you're more than just, um, you know, a person that delivers a work thing. You, you have, you know, we traditionally keep work and play very separate, you know, like it's not like a, you don't mix those things. You don't yeah. often kind of interact the two, but what we've kind of, we believe we've recognized is the fact that actually you are a person at work that carries all those things with you from home to work. So, and exactly the same way as you take people take their work home with them, it goes both ways. So to create an environment where an employer is creating um, a workforce that is genuinely, I mean, it's where the name came from, born human, right? It's like, we're all born human, so let's treat each other as such, and then we're all good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, rather than assuming that I am a money-making machine or I am a carpenter that just makes things out of wood or yeah. whatever. So, yeah, it's, it's very much about trying to be realistic about you get the most out of people when you give, give to people first and yeah. then they, they give back. And there's... Lots of statistics on it, which I won't bore you with, but the numbers are stark and ridiculous in terms of what it costs businesses every year to have people that aren't productive at work. And we believe we can make a difference to that. And it is about changing the dynamic. So, yeah, I mean, it is an interesting conversation and it's great that the narrative's changing a bit. I completely agree. I, I, I bang on about it all the time, but uh, when I had, had Rutger Bregman on after his book, A Utopia for Realists, there was so much in that episode that historically and scientifically proved that the happier and more engaged a workforce is, the more financially yeah. beneficial it is. The tests that I think Scotland are moving to, uh, towards now, I think I heard, but the fact that they in the, in the 70s it was proved that a four-day week on the same wage as a five-day week yeah. in, increased a, pr a productivity despite everyone being in for one day less. And again, yeah. the easy example was, 
I think every proper job I've ever had, I remember the Thursday or Friday just kind of starting to switch off and just kind yeah. of you you you're killing time and you're strolling through and you, whereas if you had four days driven and motivated, yeah. that's better than five days where two or three of them you kind of just you're coasting and yeah, it's interesting all of that stuff. A happy workforce is a productive workforce. Yeah, for sure. Somebody told me a statistic a little while ago. Um, the average office worker in an eight eight hour day actually has two hours of productive work. Yeah, and you think, well, okay, what if we split the difference and said, give me four hours of productive work and have the other four to yourself, kind of thing, rather than skiving yeah. at the coffee machine or popping out for yeah. a cigarette or yeah. whatever. I mean, I know that's a reality. Like it's not like not like you can function exactly like that. But there's there's a middle ground to be found where somebody says, hmm, well, actually, if I give a little bit here, then I'll get a lot more back in return, you know? Completely. Completely. I can completely see that if there was, and again, it can't be done like this, but here's the work you've got to do. And when you've done it, you can go home. Yeah. <laughs> That'd trust, be a world of right? difference. <laughs> It'd be yeah. a world of difference. You're like, all right, I'll get that done in, in the first four hours and I'll, f- yeah, I'll fuck yeah. off. But And COVID, yeah. COVID's kind of done that, hasn't it? You know? Yeah, it really has. Well, yeah. Uh, uh, let's wrap things up because I feel that we could just talk for hours and hours on all these uh, subjects. But yeah, thank yeah. you for coming on. And as said, Born Human is on all the podcast places and on all the social media, right? Yep, we're on uh, we're on social media at born at born human podcast. Um, yeah, so find us there, and then all the all the connected links should be in there. Go find us now, and we'll you know there's hopefully some really great conversations that I think lots of people can benefit from. So, yeah, that's thank you very much for having me on. It's been great to chat, mate. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Always is. Cheers, mate. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was Andy Chambers of Born Human. I said, check the podcast out, man. I really, I'm sure, I said, I'm sure it came across the amount of respect and love I've got for this guy. He's doing good shit. (laughs) And I respect that. And I think it should be supported in all ways that we can. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this. I'll be back next week with a frankly huge guest. Huge, honestly. If you're listening to the very end of a bonus Friday episode, then you're the real hardcore. So give me a shout, actually. If you listen this far into the bonus episode, holler at me on Twitter or Instagram and I'll I'll make sure I, I, I respond and show you love in return. Yeah, big guest. You should be excited about the big guest next week, honestly. Big get big guest. Oh, anyway, until then, stay safe and stay sane. Ta ta.